Awesome, awesome. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. All right, so we have a really amazing story to look at today, Mark chapter 2. And, you know, this is our fourth week as a church plant, and God is doing amazing things in our midst. And it's been so good. I love seeing now familiar faces, and I'm trying to learn your names. And so if I have to ask again, uh, I'm sorry, there's, there's a lot of people, but I want to know you, and I want you to know us. And so um, if you're familiar, uh, we're glad you're here. If you're a new face and this is your first time here, we're just blessed that you can be here. But um, I want to talk about, um, you know, Ben Kai just said it well, we want to be known by Jesus and known by one another. And we want to see this be a church body where we are connected to one another. And, you know, one of two things can happen at this point. We can continue to see your familiar face and as you consistently attend and come and engage actively in this church, we'll know as you begin to serve and use the gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. Uh, we'll know as you begin to give financially to support the work of ministry that we're doing to uh, bring the gospel to this community and eventually to the ends of the earth. I mean, we have a big vision for what God can do in Palos Verdes. Yeah, what's up, Caleb? what? My son's walking up here. I'm not going to forbid the children to come. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Love ya. I learned something when Leah was talking. So all this to say, you know, we'll, we'll know that you are all in in this church if you're giving, I love what Janet said, one of our, she's our administrative assistant. She said, when people are giving of their time, talent, and treasure, you will know that people are all in. And so we want to see that happen. We want people to call Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes their church. And so if this is your first week or you've been coming now each and every week, we're so blessed that you're here today. And as I said, we have an amazing story now in the Gospel of Mark, chapter two, beginning at verse one. We made it to chapter two. This is exciting. So this is what it says. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
And many were gathered together that there, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have called us, your children, sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus, that on the cross, you paid our debt of sin so that we can be forgiven. And we're here today, Lord, and we know that with these people represented here, we all have needs. And we believe, Jesus, because we're here, that you can meet those needs. But Jesus, I pray today that we would see that our greatest need is that we would have our sins forgiven, that we would be reconciled to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in Mark's gospel, so far, we have seen Jesus baptized by John, affirmed by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and tempted by Satan. When Jesus came, he began to proclaim the kingdom of God. He called disciples to himself. He preached with authority. He delivered the demonically oppressed. He healed seemingly small sicknesses and healed big diseases. And so the news about Jesus is beginning to rapidly spread throughout the region of Galilee where he was ministering. Whole cities were coming around Jesus to hear and to see the things that he was doing. And you know, if one person gets healed, you know that they're going to go and tell five people, right? And if those five people get healed, they're going to go tell five more people. And so that's 31 people already that are healed and are coming to Jesus to see him. And so you can imagine as many people are coming and receiving from Jesus and hearing him preach and deliver and heal. And I mean, reports are going out about Jesus. Something is happening in Galilee. There is this man here who is different and everyone wants to come and see. Now keep in mind what we learned last week about Jesus is because this was still early on in his ministry and he ultimately was coming to the earth for the purpose of going to the cross. 
And at this point, he kind of had to deal a little delicately. He didn't kind of want to let it out all too soon. Yet people were telling more and more people and crowds were gathering around Jesus. Now the crowds were actually at times hindering the work of Jesus because listen, Jesus's ministry model is not necessarily bigger, faster, better. You know, that's a lot of times what we think is success, but that's not necessarily what Jesus was looking for. He was looking to do the will of his father. He was primarily interested in what he would do in the hearts and souls of men and women. He was about seeing real transformation. He was about making disciples. And obviously Jesus was meeting the needs of the crowds. He was healing people of sickness and disease. But I'm gonna say something that I said last week that I believe is worth repeating. You see, Jesus didn't follow needs. Jesus followed his calling which was ultimately to go to the cross to pay for our debt of sin. See, Jesus is always going to move further and beyond our immediate needs, which oftentimes are physical needs, emotional needs, because Jesus is trying to get at our greatest need, which is spiritual healing, which is that we would have the forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus has healed a lot of people at this point, and he's going to heal another person today, as we'll see. See, but Jesus was mostly interested in showing this man who he's about to heal what his greatest need is. And that's what we want to come away with today. We want to understand what our greatest need before Jesus is. So look again at verse 1. It says, When he returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home. Now, we all know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but as an adult, he actually lived in the city of Capernaum. And so he was back home in this city, and the news went out that he was home. And so verse 2, many gathered together, and there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus could hardly get in the door and unpack his bags, you know? And people were already crowding into this house. Now, we don't know if this was Jesus's own house or maybe the house of one of his friends, but in those days, the houses weren't that big. Maybe you could fit about 40 or 50 people into them. And it says that there were so many people in this house that there was no more room. There wasn't any entrance into the doors. And so people were spilling out, you know, into every section of the house. They were spilling out the doors and into the streets. You probably had, you know, 10 people with their heads, each in windows, crammed into door jams. And this was a tightly packed place. Like there was no more floor left for people to sit down on. People were so wanting to see what was going on. And what does it say that Jesus was doing? It says there that he was preaching the word to them. See, remember, Jesus came to preach the gospel of God. He would go from place to place preaching in synagogues, in homes, in streets, on beaches, in hillsides. I imagine Jesus maybe preached in a parking lot, right? Jesus was a preacher 
And, and maybe this day he was working through a particular section of scripture, maybe from the book of Isaiah, and he was talking about how God loves his people and has plans to redeem them, right? And Jesus, Jesus had to be an excellent preacher. I mean, this is God the Son, but Jesus would have taken the word of God, given interpretation and insight into the scriptures. He would have been able to apply the scriptures right to where people were at. See, people would come to hear him and he wasn't like the scribes. He preached with authority and with power. He gave a demonstration of what he was preaching. People would come out and they would hear him preach this message. They'd pack out houses. There was one point when the crowds were so big and pressing in upon Jesus that he was getting backed up to this water line. Whoa. He was getting backed up to this water line that he had to step off the beach and into a boat so that he could continue preaching. And look, what did Jesus preach? It says he preached the word to them. You know, Jesus used his own authoritative word. He used it like a two-edged sword to pierce into hearts. He used it like seed that would scatter into the soils of people's hearts. Jesus used his own authoritative word as a means for transformation in people's lives. Jesus preached the word to him, to them. And so there's these audiences that are gathering around Jesus, hearing him preach. In verse three, it says, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So this group of guys now, they're, they're a little late to the gathering, presumably because they had to carry their friend on a stretcher, so they weren't getting there as fast as everyone else. And these four men, they'd heard about Jesus. You know, maybe these four friends had themselves been healed by Jesus previously. You know, we don't know much about these four guys other than that they were friends of the paralyzed man and that they believed that Jesus could do something about his situation. See, we're not told much about these men other than that. And so they're carrying their friend. Maybe he's 150, 200 pounds and they've got him on something that's like a gurney or a stretcher. And so they're carrying him sort of like on the four corners of this bed and they get to this house where Jesus is at, but to their dismay, they can't get inside. You know, they roll up and all they see is the backs of this huge crowd and people sticking their heads through windows and people piled into door jams. And they can't get to where Jesus is at. And so what are they gonna do? I mean, they see this great obstacle and you can imagine them saying, man, there's no use. We can't get in. You know, maybe the friends huddle together and they're trying to figure out what the next steps are. And, and I imagine the paralytic looking at his friends and saying, I'm sorry, guys, I, I thought that this was gonna be the day that I would walk. Let's just go home. Thanks for all the effort. And then one of the friends says, no way, man, I'm not carrying you back. You're gonna walk today. And so they figure out a way to get their friend to Jesus. You know, they really wanted to help their friend. There was this buildup of anticipation. They had built up this hope. They were believing that today was gonna be the day that their friend would walk. 
but now dejected, the paralytic man says, never mind, it's no use. You know, does it sometimes feel that way in your Christian life? Where there's just obstacle after obstacle. You know, it seems like there's these great barriers that are keeping you from being set before Jesus. You want to come before Jesus. You want Jesus to do something about your situation, but there's just things in the way and you feel like you can't press past those obstacles and get before Jesus. But let me tell you today, I believe that this story is gonna show you that by persistent faith, you can get through the obstacles you can find yourself at the feet of Jesus. And verse four says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and they made an opening and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You know, I think that they tried and they tried to get past the crowd. Excuse me, we need to see Jesus. Yeah, get in line, buddy. Uh, Can I come in this way? I I really gotta get before Jesus. Yeah, you and me both. And they look around and they're looking at every part of the house and they can't figure it out. And then the idea comes and they look up. You know, it's always a good idea to look up. And what do they see? They see the roof. And in those days, it wasn't uncommon for the roofs of these houses to have stairways or ladders that would give you access up on the roof. In Israel, many times people would go up on the rooftops for meals. They would go up there after a hot day and feel the cool breeze. You know, we remember Peter in the book of Acts when he had that vision of the sheet coming out of heaven concerning the Gentiles. He was up on a rooftop just kind of taking a siesta. And so people would be on these roofs often. And so maybe there was a stairwell or a ladder and so they get their friends up onto this roof. I mean, these guys have to be tired by now. They're lifting them up over their heads. They're getting them up there and they finally get them on the roof. And then they're up there. And in those days, the roofs were made of beams that would go both directions. And then on top of that, you would have like thatch. And then over that would be some mud and some tiles. And so they were sort of these organically constructive rooftops. And so they find the spot where they think that Jesus is probably below. And what do they do? They just start digging through this roof. You kind of got to imagine yourself being inside and you're listening to Jesus give this really good Bible study. And all of a sudden there's little bits of dirt that's like falling on your head. And then bigger pieces are, you got like a stick and a tile coming down. You're like, what is going on? I imagine the owner of the house was inside. It's like, who's ripping through my roof? But he can't get out. You know, they're packed in like sardines. He can't go shoo them off the roof. And so there's like this hole that's getting bigger and bigger. And there's like, there's light shining through. And everyone's like in suspense. What is going to happen? I just imagine Jesus there with a smile on his face because Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's thrilled about it. And so the hole gets bigger and bigger. They're actively trying to get their friend through this hole. You know, what's happening here in this moment? You know, faith has been activated. They've been persistent. They've overcome the obstacles. These friends were believing that Jesus was going to make their friend walk. 
And so their faith was active. Now they're positioned over this hole that's big enough to lower him through. And with their weary arms, by maybe these four ropes, they're lowering him down right. And they can just see down and they see Jesus looking up at them and they're lowering him through the roof. And they're actively working. And I mean, this was like a scene. What's going to happen? Is he even going to make it down? Is he just going to like, is the rope going to break? What's Jesus going to do? The owner's still thinking, who's going to fix my roof? And, and, and then it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, said to, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So this man made it right at the feet of Jesus and and. and Man, this is a verse that is packed with so much incredible truth. I mean, you have to think about it. The first thing that I see is that Jesus saw their faith. That's the first thing I notice. It was an active faith of the friends believing that Jesus would heal their paralytic friend. You know, they worked through with persistence. They overcame the obstacles. And this tells me about the kind of faith that Jesus was perceiving. You know, biblical faith is active faith. Biblical faith is persistent faith. A biblical faith overcomes the obstacles to come before Jesus. And so he sees the faith of these friends and he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, I kind of see the scene in my mind and the four friends at the roof are like, wait, what? What did he just say? Um, excuse me, sir, J Jesus, he's paralyzed. You know, we, we brought him here so that he could walk. Um, do that thing where you touch his legs and he, he gets healed. But what does Jesus say to this man first? He says to him, your sins are forgiven. See, what Jesus saw as he saw the faith of these friends and he's looking at this paralyzed man before him, Jesus was seeing the greatest need of this man, which is that his sins needed to be forgiven. You know, not much has been speculated about why Jesus started by saying, you need your, your sins forgiven. Because uh, what I just simply believe and what I, uh, I think we can all agree upon is this, is that, guys, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think about sin. I, I'm aware of it. I'm constantly aware of it in my life. I don't know what you want to call it. You know, the Bible says it's like missing the mark. And I'm just off target all the time. So I don't know what you think about sin, but, but as I think about this, I see sin as the greatest issue, the greatest problem, and the greatest need of all mankind for all time. You know, this man's immediate need is that he's paralyzed. Like, that's a need. And we all have needs in this fallen world. Starving people need to be fed. That's an immediate need. Thirsty people need clean water to drink. That's a need that people need to meet. People need COVID treatment. We live in a culture and a society where there are stark divisions and polarizations. And you know, we, we see relationships struggling all around us. And we can just say that in our world, in our society, there are a lot of immediate needs. And we could use a little bit of healing. Amen? 
See, but our greatest need of all time will always be that we need to have our sins forgiven. You know, you could say that so much of our immediate felt needs would be dealt with if we would just get help from Jesus with our greatest need. I mean, think about it. Why is the forgiveness of sin our greatest need? This man was unable to stand in his paralysis. But in an even greater way, this man would be unable to stand before a holy and just God if he remained in his condition of sin without the forgiveness of Jesus. So what's the greatest need? To stand physically on earth or to stand spiritually before God in heaven? See, Jesus cares about our immediate needs. He cares about our suffering. But Jesus will always be looking to the deeper root issue, which is our sin. Because in healing sin, a, host of ho- a whole host of immediate issues and all kinds of suffering would be mended if we just had our sin dealt with. Now, as soon as Jesus said this, notice there was a little bit of a response in the crowd. Verse six and seven says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So in this group, you had these scribes who were these religious leaders of that day. And what were they doing? You know, they were coming to this house where Jesus was preaching, and they were making sure that he was preaching the word of God accurately. Now, is that a good thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when somebody is handling the word of God, we want to with certainty know that they are doing it correctly. We want to know that the preacher is rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul commended the Berean Christians for even listening to Paul preach and then going back to the word to make sure that the things that Paul preached lined up with the word of God. And that's what the scribes were doing here. They were making sure that Jesus wasn't teaching anything false, and this is a good thing to do. See, but to remain in that place, to simply go on in your religion as a sermon critic, or as a hunter of false teaching is actually to be a lot like these scribes. You know, I fear that many Christians today are just sermon connoisseurs, taking in sermon after sermon and not really actively engaging their faith as these four friends were. And so Jesus said to the paralyzed man, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the doctrine alarm went off in these scribes' minds and they said immediately in their hearts, he can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins. You know, maybe Daniel 9.9 came to their mind that said, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? And they began to accuse Jesus in their hearts that he was blaspheming. But is what they were thinking in their hearts also true? Is it true that only God can forgive sins? Yeah. You know, King David, after having committed adultery and murder and letting down the nation of Israel in the lowest point of his life, in Psalm 51, he prayed to the Lord and he said, against you and you alone have I sinned. See, before anybody else, and we sin against each other all the time, but before anyone else, when we sin, our sin is a transgression against God. 
We need to realize, first and foremost, that our sin is against God. You know, who made your mouth that you lie with? Who made your eyes that you lust with? Who made your mind that you reject his existence with? When we sin, we sin against God, and therefore he is the one who has to forgive. We can forgive every single person who has ever wronged us, and we should, but without receiving God's forgiveness, we will bear the guilt of our own sin. And so yes, the scribes and what they were thinking was actually true, that only God can forgive sins, but what were they missing? Well, Jesus is God. The man that they came to hear teach that day was in fact able to forgive sins because Jesus being God was able to notice what they were thinking in their hearts. And he would be able to notice a lot of things about the religious leaders how they would try to catch him in the things that he would say, how they would look to the outward appearance of people, how they would neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness, how they were like the blind leading the blind. They had this religious heart condition and it was ugly and Jesus perceived it. See, Jesus is able to perceive the conditions of our hearts because he is God. He sees our need. He sees that we have sinned. Whether your sin is the sin of licentiousness or if your sin is the sin of legalism. And what I mean by that is the sin of licentiousness is that your sin is rejecting God because you love the world. But the sin of legalism is the sin of restricting God because you love religion. Jesus sees it all. And only he is able to forgive our sins. So verse 8 through 11, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You guys doing good? which is the easier thing to do? This is a great question of Jesus. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? In a sense, that is easy because there doesn't necessarily have to be a physical, visible proof when you say your sins are forgiven. You can just say it and nobody would be the wiser. You know, spiritually speaking, God forgives our sins for instance, 1 John 4, 19, or 4, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When God forgives sins, it is immediate. And it is visible in the spiritual realm. But physically speaking, not so much. Over time, in the coming days and weeks and months and years of your life, if you've been forgiven, you will show the evidence that you have been forgiven. But immediately for Jesus just to say, your sins are forgiven to a paralyzed man, that's easy. But look, it wasn't easy for Jesus to forgive sins. We know what Jesus did to forgive sins. He bore the penalty of our sins on the cross. By no means was that easy for Jesus. But in a physical sense, to say to this man, rise up, take up your bed, the guy had to have an immediate physical visible change where a man who was paralyzed had to stand up and walk out of that place. 
Either the guy stands or he doesn't stand. And so the crowd is there in this moment, and it's intense. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. You know, the crowd came, and they're thinking, man, we're going to see an awesome miracle right now. The religious leaders are wondering, are we going to be put to shame? Are our accusations going to be proven false? The four friends are hoping that they don't have to pull their friend out through the roof again. They're hoping that he just walks out of the place. And, and for the paralyzed man, I don't know what he was more excited about. Was he more excited about the fact that he's about to walk out of that place and for the first time be able to stand to his feet? Or is he more excited that the Messiah just forgave him of his sins? In verse 12, and he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. You know, if anyone wants to have a viewing party with me when we get to heaven, I'm gonna be watching the rewind of this one. You know, this is pretty awesome thing to see. People are freaking out. This guy's walking, you know? Crowd just kind of stands back and I just kind of picture him going out the middle of the door. <laughs> it's amazing. God has just healed this man. What? Not only that, but Jesus just said he is the son of man. And he did not shrink back when they accused him of forgiving sins, claiming to be God. And he showed proof by a powerful healing that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. Man, who is this guy? Who is this man? He is the son of God. He is God the son. He is Jesus. Now as the worship team comes, we're gonna close it out. As we end our time this morning, I have maybe some thoughts about how this might resonate with you this morning. First, maybe you're like the crowd. And worship team, if you want to come up, you can come up. It's okay. You know, maybe you're like the crowd and you kind of just feel like maybe you're just more of a spectator. This is all exciting to you. You're seeing it all happen before your eyes. See, but Jesus is always wanting to move us from just being a spectator to being a disciple. You know, maybe you're like the four friends and there are people in your life that you know that if you can just get them before Jesus, he will do something about their situation. You know, you're willing to overcome obstacles. You're willing to do anything to bring those that you love, your friends and your family to the feet of Jesus and see Jesus do what only he can do. You know, mothers who have prodigal children and you're praying for them, keep holding the rope. Don't lose hope. Anyone here who desires to see the ones that they love saved and forgiven, keep believing. Keep praying. Keep bringing those that you love to the feet of Jesus. You know, maybe you're like the religious leaders and you're skeptical about Jesus. You have a lot of questions and you reasoning in your heart. You might be the one that is, you know, quick to make judgments quick to dismiss, and you're analyzing, and you want Jesus to show you that he has power and authority, and, and, and I'm convinced. Maybe you feel, I need to see something physically. Oh, Jesus is trying to get to your greater need. Jesus is trying to get to your greater need. He loves you, and he wants you to trust him.
And maybe you're like the paralytic and you have needs. And maybe they're physical. But maybe your need is so much greater than that. Maybe your need is that great spiritual need that you need your sins forgiven. And you don't know that you've ever come before Jesus and had him say to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You don't know that that's actually happened. And today this is resonating in your heart and you're saying, I want that from Jesus. If this man has power and authority on the earth to forgive sins, I want my sins forgiven. Jesus says in his word that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you recognize your great need before God, which is that you need to stand before a holy and just God and give an account for your life, Jesus can forgive your sins today. And listen, only Jesus can be Jesus in this story. Jesus is the real Jesus. And today, whatever place you're at right now, bring the real you to the real Jesus. No one left that house that day unchanged. Everyone walked out of that house that day amazed in attributing glory to God. So let's stand up together. We're gonna have pastors and leaders over here. If you'd like to pray today and confess your need before God, say with God the same thing about your sin that he says about your sin and that you need him. Come and we'd love to pray for you and Jesus will immediately forgive you today. But let's worship and bring whatever we have before the real Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.